Freedom Center. Good to see you. You guys want some good news? All right, this is for you, live stream, and for everybody else here today. Um, last week, when the invitation was given to receive the Lord, I just kind of, not flippantly, but just kind of as a secondary thought said, and if you're online today and you'd like to give your life to Jesus, just press the hand emoji. Three people gave their life to Jesus online last week and pressed the hand emoji. So if you're online right now, I think we should all celebrate that in an online way. There's like a clapping emoji, is there not? So it looks like you're praying maybe or you're jazz hands. I don't know. But something online, whatever your rendition of celebration is online. I'm not online, but I do text people that I don't like. So I understand some of this. So if you would, put your little thing on there today. It's going to be awesome. And, uh, and I think it's one more thing. You, there's a button Dina talks about. The, you press it and other people see it. What's it called? That makes sense. The share button. So if you're watching right now and you're on live stream or Facebook or Google Twit face or whatever you are, right? Just press whatever the equivalent is and let's get the word out because today's going to be a good message. We're building a foundation for 2021. The series is called There's More and we're coming back to part two of it today. Last week we talked about really what everything hangs on. We asked, they asked Jesus, and we'll get back to it a little bit, a little bit today about, uh, you know, what's, what's the most important stuff? Like of all the, you know, hundreds of commandments given through the Mosaic Law and the Abrahamic Covenants and, you know, what, what's really, what really is weighty here? What's first? What's greatest? What's the, what's the best? Where do I start? And I love what Jesus says because the first and greatest, the one that has priority and the one that has the most presence, the one that has the most weight to it is this. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like it. And he answers a question that wasn't asked, which is extraordinarily rare. Matter of fact, it's the only time he ever does it. He answers a question that wasn't asked, and this is the rest of that answer. And he said, and love your neighbor. Anybody know the rest of it? As as you, right? So whatever you would want someone to treat you like, you need to figure out what their equivalent of that is, and you need to begin to love people in that way. So we talked about how all the law and all the prophets, all of our dreams, all of our obediences to the Sabbath and to giving to the poor and our prayer life and how much time we spend in the world, all of that, all of that has nothing to hang on unless the world sees lives that stand up nice and tall, loving God, loving people. Somebody say amen. So what we're doing is we're trying to build a foundation beneath what we believe is our assignment for 2021. And it's, and it's no joke, like we'll, you'll find out in a couple of weeks. But the assignment, the things we're shooting for, the things we're going after are different than any other year. Year 26 for me was different than year 25 and everything before that. And year 26 for all of us, I believe, is going to be a calling upward, a calling into, a calling of something greater and more. So... Uh, yeah, so last week we talked about that. This week we're talking about something that I, I hope you get. I'm not going to say Thursday night. This is being recorded, isn't it? Thursday night's awesome. Um, and it's not a dress run-through for Sunday morning. But often I change things from Thursday night to Sunday morning because Thursday night I realized I didn't communicate it well. How many guys are glad you come to church on Sunday? All right. And how many of us know that it's going to be even better in about an hour and a half because you're also a trial run? No, I'm kidding. You're, this, you're, you're not guinea pigs. You're, you're not laboratory rats. You're not lawyers. I'm trying to think of something else. We don't care about killing. Um, but you're, it's, it's a joke. If you're a lawyer, I, are you a lawyer? Focus crew there, yeah. <laughs> so here's another piece. Being righteous and being right. Consider these two statements. Number one is this. It doesn't matter how right you are in your argument if you're not righteous before God. It doesn't matter how right you are if you're not righteous. In the end, when, when we've been right and factual and truth and honesty and science and research and biology and geology and anthropology and ology, and, and, we, and we get to the end, if we don't know our creator intimately through Jesus Christ, it was, it was just dust. It was just wind. Does that make sense? But think of this other one. This is kind of more for maybe us today. It doesn't matter how righteous you are if in this life, as you're talking to people about their issues, 
you're not right. We, we have reduced complex arguments to simple Christian sayings at the detriment of the advancement of the gospel. And today I want to give you a little shove towards being studious, a little shove towards actually researching issues before you have to face them. Maybe there's somebody in the cubicle next to you. Maybe you have a family member or a loved one that's going through something. The, the, the Christian cliches are no longer working on a society where three-quarters of the people don't believe the Bible is true. So we have to have other arguments besides just the Bible says. And how many of you guys know that God explains himself in nature? He explains himself in science. He explains himself in sociology, anthropology, geology, and ology. Everything we can study should point back to the reality of who God is, since God is the creator of all things. Does this make sense? But it takes a lot of study, a lot of application, a lot of work on our part, and I can tell already how excited you are about it. <laughs> already, people are texting me going, okay. I have 11 new group me texts. That's nothing wrong. I don't have ADHD. I'm fine. How about you? What I want to say today, squirrel, what I want to say today is uh, you're, you're light and salt. I, how many of you guys have enjoyed, even this morning, your experience with God? But please hear me. Our experience with God needs to have a translation that it can become other people's experiences as well. If, if all God wanted for you was to take you to heaven, then the moment you believed, he'd have snatched you up and you'd have been gone. You'd be in heaven. So if we're not in heaven yet, my assumption is that there's something left to be done while we're still here on earth. And, and in a basic broad sense, it's light and salt. We, we are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We are that which has influence of another world in this world. So let's talk about being righteous first because I think, I think it's probably going to be most familiar to most of us. Then we'll get back to some harder conversation. So how to be righteous? It's simple. You receive the righteous one. I, I, I wish it was more complex. I have a 19-step process by which you can know you're going to heaven. But really, it's only one step. Give your life to Jesus. And, and I know there's a lot of theology behind that statement, but the long and the short of it is this. If you trust yourself to save yourself, then all your righteousness is nothing more and nothing less than self-righteousness. But if you trust another one who's, who's righteous enough to be both righteous himself and righteous for you. In other words, he came to this earth, he faced everything you faced, he, everything that ever defeated you in the form of temptation or test, he defeated and now extends that victory as a gift of grace to anyone who's willing to receive that. How many of you guys know that's the way to heaven? Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm not a way. I am, I am not a truth. I am, I'm not some sort of a life. I am the life. So Jesus makes his, his knowledge exclusive as the door through which we enter into an expansive kingdom. The road is narrow. The way is small. Very few people find it, Jesus says. But understand this. Once you get beyond the door, there's an expansive kingdom waiting for adventurers to apply, right? But you can't get there without getting through him. Righteousness is the act of trusting the righteous one to be your savior. It's not complicated. It's not confusing. So, okay, I, I, I've done that. Now what do I do? Well, let's go back to Jesus, right? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets, everything else we're going to get to, all the other commandments about Sabbaths and rest and feasts and fasts, we're going to get to that. But in the meantime, let's love God, let's love our neighbor, and let's that be the foundation of our lives. Amen? So Paul actually says the same thing. It's kind of a fun uh, another way of saying it, he says it this way. He said, the commandments, you know, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal stuff, don't covet, whatever commandment there may be. Listen, they're summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So how many of you guys would like to be righteous before God? Come on, let me see your hand. I want to be righteous before God. Here it is. You ready? Give your life to Jesus. Love God with your all. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
It's a gift of grace, right? Being right is different than being righteous. Being right is different. Let me, let me give you an example of how different it is. Let's have some fun. How many of you guys want to talk to my mom? You want to talk to my mom? Should we call her? Nah, give her. She's probably, hi, mom. I'm about, to, I'm about to send you a picture of the congregation. So this is how you take a photo in 2021. You take out your cell phone. You press on your, your photo app. It brings it up, right? So I've got that. You, you take the photo. How many of you guys want to be in a photo to my mom? All right. Let me get as many of you as I can. This is fun. All right. Now, my mom thinks you guys are already nuts, so you have nothing to lose by being yourselves. You ready? On three, one, two, three, everybody go crazy. There it is. Much more crazy people in this section. I, there's there's a, a more of a withers thing happening over here than there was over here. And now I'm going to take this, and I'm going to bring up the picture. I'm going to press the little icon that says I want to send it. I'm going to go to my text app. I'm going to write in the word M. Oh, and mom and dad pop up, and I sent it. How many of you guys think that's pretty easy? That's taking a photo in 2021. Let's talk about taking a photo in 1970. 1970, you had to buy something called a camera, and they were expensive, sometimes costing $20, $30, which was a lot of money in 1970, right? You had to buy film from a film store. You had to load the film, and if, and if you know what I'm talking about, you can do this wrong and take like 50 pictures, not having taken a single picture because you didn't load the film right, right? You have to choose an aperture setting and a shutter speed, how, how wide the, the lens is going to open up light and for how long it's going to. And if you don't get that right, you get blurry yellow people. And you're like, that's a terrible picture. It's like, no, my uncle really looks that way. Uh, and, and then you have to take the picture, and there's 36 pictures on the average roll of 35-millimeter film, right? So I, I, you might not remember this, and I feel so old. I'm not as old as Todd Winkle, but I am, I am relatively old. Uh, Kim Savior is even older than Todd. But I, I'm, I'm all I'm saying is this. You, you, didn't, you didn't get out and take a picture of your breakfast, and then your lunch, and then your dog, and then the fire, and then the sunset. And then you, it was like somebody's birthday. You went, everybody smile, cheese, click, and you don't know if you got it or not. And you took about three pictures a month. So 36 pictures can take a really long time, right? So you're, you end up with this roll of film that sits around for a long time. So long, in fact, how many of you guys ever had a roll of film so long you found it in a drawer, undeveloped, and had no idea what pictures were on it? And the kids are like, why would you even do that? It's like, shut up. Then you had to remove the film successfully. Let's go. You had to drop it at a Kodak booth. The, the invention of the drive through window, right? You, the film was developed in two to three weeks. You had to go through a nine-step chemical bath process. And then it came back to you. And uh, you stopped in. Hey, we began. Like, yes, Mr. Wiglard, I have it right here. And the pictures came back. And then you got to see if you got, actually got anything. If 36 pictures were taken, maybe three or five were good. And then you put the best ones in the envelope, physically putting physical pictures in the envelope. And then you got out your return address. You put down your parents' address. You chucked it in there with a quick letter. Love you, Mom. Just wanted you to see that you still have grandchildren. You lick the envelope because we used to use spit to close things. <laughs> and then you physically mailed it to your mom and dad. And the whole process took about one to three months. Anybody remember that? Wasn't that fun? Let's go to Bobolo Island and just talk about it. So what's that all about? Why why would I say that? Well, because becoming righteous is like taking a picture in 2021. But becoming right is like taking a picture in 1970. There's, There's a process where we apply ourselves. Listen, we are instantly righteous by the blood of Jesus, but we aren't instantly right in our theology, 
not instantly right in our logic and our arguments. We're not, we're not ready to talk about a lot of stuff. Matter of fact, I would dare say the number one thing that people tell me when I say, you should share your faith more. You have a wonderful testimony. You should share your faith story. And they say, yeah, but what if they ask me a question, what? That I can't, I can't answer it. Same thing Moses said, actually, interestingly enough, you know, thousands of years ago when he's standing at a burning bush arguing with a burning bush, which is hilarious, right? But, but the commitment, guys, the discipline, the effort, and the process, it all takes time. We got to study to show ourselves approved of God. And, and, I, and I think one of the things we have to be very careful of is as we forge our beliefs, as we forge our philosophies, our, our tenets, um, that, that which we're going to use every day, uh, it takes discipline. It takes years, and it takes study. Now, let me just say before we go, this, I know how many guys, don't raise your hand, but it, I'm just too busy. But I, I, just, I just recently saw something. They were studying evangelical Christians, which I'm not sure where we fall in the scale of evangelical or Protestant or charismaniac or, you know, Bapticostal. I, I don't know where we fall in that. But some, some people that are something like us spend an average of two hours and 14 minutes on social media per, what do you, what do you think, per month? Per day. Per day. <laughs> I just have no time to study. It's like, ooh, you've got a drinking problem <laughs> called social media. You've got an obesity. You've got, you've got a gluttony problem called social media. You are far too entertained on things that have suckered you through your own psychology into spending hours of meaningless time engaging in frustrating conversations, enraging and inflaming your soul. You don't need to hear this. Never mind. None of this happens anymore in America. Why is this important? It, this is important that we study, that we understand the argument, that we help people to, to see Jesus without necessarily, and that we're going to quote truth, which is scriptural. But how many of you guys know that when we say to people, listen, the Bible says, understand this, that only 24% of Americans believe the Bible's true. And by the way, they're probably all Christians. If they believe the Bible is true, they probably believe Jesus is the Savior the Bible says he is. So that means three out of four people or more that we are going to talk to about the things of the kingdom of God, do not believe the word of God. Does this make sense? So here we have to shift. And everybody just say the word shift. I refuse to say the word pivot anymore. It's not 2020. I'm never going to pivot again. I feel like Chandler moving a couch with Ross. Pivot. Pivot. Shut up. I'm sorry. Are there children here? I shouldn't say shut up. Silence thy face hole. Amen. But our position, if we're, because we thought we're the majority for so long, we actually called ourselves the moral majority. This, this, this. Hear me, hear me, hear me. If you believe Scripture, you're in the vast minority of Americans, and I want you to hear me. Please hear me. We once thought of ourselves as the gatekeepers of morality. Our role was to make sure that those who do this aren't allowed to. It's illegal to. It's immoral. As a society, we shame them. We ostracize. We correct them. We rebuke them. We were the gatekeepers. No one's allowed in except those who believe what we believe and do what we do and approve what we approve of. Do you see that? You don't. You do. You're just afraid to say it. No, you didn't laugh. Do you see that? Okay, good. Because I've been around for a while. And I remember when the church just kind of pointed its fingers at sin and sinners, and that was like their job was to, was to be like the, the, the morality police. Our role was never, but certainly is not now, to be the morality police. Our role is to be guides for those who are blind. Ambassadors of, of a king from another world that wants to bring that world into this world. We are servants of God, and we are servants of one another, and we are servants of those who do not yet believe. We're patiently enduring in a hope that God will grant them repentance and lead them to a knowledge of the truth. We are, we are his love extended. When we open our mouths 
the earth should hear the voice of God. When we open our thumbs, the earth should read the counsel of God. Is that silence, disinterest, conviction, or you're just waiting to be made to laugh? On social media, tell me right now. Okay. This is important, guys. We need to be able to intelligently, everybody say intelligent, intelligently. <laughs> that word I can't pronounce, say that. Intelligently communicate with the other three out of four as a missionary of a foreign land. Let me, let me give you an example. In order for me, according to our manifesto, which is kind of our rule book, we, you know, how we practice, it's the yoke with which we carry the morality of, of Scripture. Um, in order for a pastoral member of the staff to perform a wedding, there have to be three things. And these three things, I'll tell you in a moment, are, are very biblical, um, but, it, but it does create this issue. Number one is this. You have to be publicly engaged for six months. It's very simple. I met him yesterday. He's a dream. We're going to Vegas. I can, I'll, I'll make a bet on how long that lasts. How about you? Right? It's not, probably not going to. It could. Dina and I dated for three weeks. I proposed. She said no. She got right with God 24 hours later. She said, yes, we were married the following January, and 32 years later, by the grace of God and the patience of a godly woman, somebody say amen, right? But we want them to be publicly engaged for six months so that nobody rushes into it. Second thing is this. Complete, really, what is, I think, the premier class that Freedom Center offers in, in, any, in any situation is our pre-marriage class. It is better. Um, it is more effective. It has measurable fruit a, in a way that nothing else we do really classroom-wise produces. So we insist that you take a, a legitimate pre-marriage class. We would prefer ours because we know it well. We know Carrie and Court do an excellent job with that. And then the last thing is you can't live together before the wedding. You can't cohabitate as husband and wife prior to being husband and wife. Now, I, I know that this doesn't apply to you, but which one of the three do you think most couples would, would kind of come back and end up not getting married by a member of our staff? What, which one of the three do you think is the most challenging to today's society. That's right, number two. No, number three, right? And, and so I now have a choice. When people say, I'd like to get married, I'm like, I'm so excited for you. I'm a hopeless romantic. I, I watch my wife watch Hallmark. I don't watch it, but I watch my wife, right? So, but now we got a problem because about half or three quarters of the couples are living together when they say, will you marry me? Now, I've, here's my thing, right? I can either say the Bible says you're in sin, so I won't marry you, or... I can say things like, let me tell you why we do what we do and why we care enough about you to set you up for success rather than an extraordinarily painful failure, right? So, we, yeah, can you do my wedding? Well, let me ask you three questions. Are you willing to go through a pre- I've been publicly engaged six months. Are you living together? Well, yeah, we're, we're living together. Is that a problem? So, well, let me, just, let me just, instead of saying, yeah, it's a problem, I can't do it. How many guys know that is not what Jesus would do? He's at a, he's at a well with a woman who's had five husbands shacking up with Bubba right now. He didn't say, oh, thinner. He says, give me a drink. Let's start a conversation. Let's talk about what the real issue is. The real issue is not how many times you've been married and divorced. The real issue is you keep looking for something in men that you can only find in God. It isn't just carrying water that's got you exhausted, kiddo. It's carrying people. So I'm going to tell you the way to never thirst again. And when that's over with, you might marry Bubba. You might kick him out of your house. If Bubba's a slug, time for the slug to get some salt put on him and throw him out. Never mind. Let's move on. Come on. All right? So what I tell people is, listen, I used to marry everybody because I figured if I married them, if there were problems, they would come back to me. But is it, in the first five years, we had about 50% uh, divorce rate. The first five years. Every wedding that I performed for the first five years, I did like every weekend during wedding season, sometimes two on a weekend. And, you know, crazy stuff, all the rehearsals. But by the time it was over with, you know, like five years, like, man, that couple didn't make it. That couple didn't make it. Wow, what's going on? So we started to ask, what is it that's causing the marriages to fail? We looked at it. You know what it was? Some rushed into it. 
Some weren't prepared for it because, hey, do you guys love each other? Yeah, okay, then suck face without guilt and, and go enjoy your life. There's not necessarily pre-marriage counseling, right? So we got that in place, and then we found out that statistically, the worst thing you can do to ensure the long-term success of a marriage is to pretend you're married before you are. Not sure why that is. I'm not a sociologist, but I just tell you that the number one indicator of divorce is with you live together before you were married. I didn't just curse your marriage, by the way. The blood of Jesus covers all sin. Somebody say amen, right? But I can say the first one, well, I can't marry you, you're in sin, so I'm not going to participate in establishing a covenant between two sinners. And that's the end of the conversation. Or I can find out where they are, listen to them, love them, and help them to make a good decision. Now, let me just say this. I never quoted the Bible, but I never departed from its truth. The standard contained in the second one is also the standard contained in the first one. The difference is I cared enough to explain the second one with love as the foundation of the conversation, not judgment. I'm righteous. I'm doing the righteous thing with both. But I'm actually wrong in the first one, and I'm right in the second one. Took more time, took more study, took more understanding, took a few couples walking away angry. I, I didn't say that right. I can't say that. Tell me what I did wrong. How did, well, when you said that, you know, the church doesn't recognize the church, I'm just, I, I'm so sick of that. Like, okay, okay. So what would a better way have been to say that? And, I, and I, was, I literally learned from people that I'd hurt. I didn't cut them off. I, learned, I made them my teacher. Somebody had to say, come on. Somebody had to say, yeah. Well, let's, let's just change the issue. Let's, and let you guys choose it. I'm tired. Marriage was a simple one. Other social issues that someone might have a completely different view of because they don't believe the Bible, and so they make up their, their own truths. As all men will, without God, they become one. They find God. They, we are worshipers. We might worship a sports team. We might worship sex. We might worship money. We might, but, but all of us are worshipers. We'll find, you know, that, that, your church is way too demonstrative during worship. I don't like it. The same guy's like a UFM gay the week before with his face painted going, woo! You know, like, you're, he's a worshiper. He just worships the wrong God. Oh, that was fun for me to say. Anyway, let's move on. What's, what's, what's another social issue that would differ from biblical truth that you might have to address? Somebody. Politics. Is that still going on? I thought that was decided in November. Politics. Let's talk about politics. Um, one of my best friends is a politician and a Democrat. Okay, wait, 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 wait. And another one, I would say best friend, but another one of my dear friends is a politician, and he's a Republican. I've learned from both of them, and I, I agree with neither of them. But if you were to ask them, does Jim Wiegand care about you, and have you discussed the issues of politics and the issues that are political, they would both say yes. Joe Graves would tell you that, that 10 years ago when he knocked on my door running for uh, the seat in the, the House of uh, Representatives for Michigan. I asked him a bunch of questions. I agreed with his answers. I invited him to come, and, and we're not allowed to endorse candidates. How many of you guys recognize that? As a ministry, we're not allowed to endorse candidates. It's a violation of some sort of law. It used to be. It isn't anymore, but it was for a long time. And uh, so I, I didn't. I just said, hey, Joe, would you stand up? This is Joe Graves. I said, I, you know, I'm not allowed to endorse a candidate, but if I was, it would be a man like Joe Graves. Matter of fact, I'm going to remind you that on the, the Sunday before election, it would be a grave mistake. Not to, you know, I'm just saying. But I can't endorse him, so I won't. Thanks, Joe Graves. This November, second Tuesday, God bless you. So that's against the law. Get over it. And I would have had the other friend of mine, because of his stance on biblical issues, right? 
And, and I, I realize I'm not going to win any friends with this, but this is the point. The point is not to convince you to vote one way or the other. The point is to get you to understand that I have to approach both of them with understanding and that with that understanding, I now have influence in their life. Let me give you another one. Um, we have always had uh, people of various sexual, what do you say it now politically right? LBGTQ community members. But we never had a leader until several years ago when suddenly there was an entry in the 4th of July parade and there was a float that celebrated the, the LBGTQ society and culture and message. Now, it caused a huge stir in our small town. I mean, you guys know Mayberry is not quite sure. Now, we always knew that we had people. We just didn't know they were organized. And all of a sudden, there's something to shoot at. And this is back before a lot of social media, but not before the hotlines. I remember the hotlines. Oh, they were hot. During that time, they were, they were hot that July. And so what I did is I went to the leader of the LBGTQ community, and I said, it'd be good if you and I were friends and not enemies. And so for three and a half hours, we had breakfast, almost lunch. We were there that long where I listened to him, and he listened to me, and I said, this is what I want you to know. If anybody comes to me and says, that dirty, no good, blankety blank, I'll stop them right in their tracks and say, that man is a friend of mine. You won't speak of him that way in my presence. And I ask for the same thing from you. If people in your side of the aisle say to you, hey, that, you know, Freedom Center, and they're a bunch of bigots, they're a bunch of blank, like, stop them right there and say, no, no, actually, the leader, that's a friend of mine. We spend time together talking about the issues. Now, I have not yet persuaded him to change anything. He has not yet persuaded me to change anything. But you understand this. If the time was ever going to come where there was enough pain that there would be a desire for change, I'm not a closed door at the morality police. I'm a brother and I'm a friend who is listening to him and his issues. Because of that conversation, it has enlightened me to have many other conversations with which God has borne great fruit, not in his life yet, but through understanding where he came from. By asking, he allowed me to ask the pointed questions about his childhood, about trauma, about issues, about the role of his father. And he lined up especially well with all the things I said, do you see? this then it, it isn't you weren't born this way you made decisions about this along your trail now i don't see that i was okay right. so we haven't gotten there but it helped me to, to engage other people um racial tensions i'll just give you that one since no one wants to call that one out the head of black lives matters in flint is a good friend of mine and the head of genesee county sheriff's department is a friend of mine so we brokered a meeting let's get the black community together talking to law enforcement and yet, let me tell you to this day and i'm not this is not for me i'm just this is an example this is not this you have as much to do with this as i do they have more to do with it than any of us do but to this day there has not been a, uh, an injury or a financial loss in the city of flint over racial tension why because we listen to each other and we gave respect to the issues. And we didn't debate. We, were, we want to be righteous before God, but we need to listen before we can be right before men. And I want to warn you guys. Please hear me. There's 10% on this side and 10% on that side of every issue. And their main goal, their main goal is to get everybody else in the middle to see it their way. And I'm not, I'm not against that. I, I want to lead all. Everybody just needs Jesus. Somebody say amen, right? But there's about 80% of us stuck in the middle just kind of wish they'd shut up. Well, let's not wish they shut up. Let's actually engage them and listen to them and learn from them. And if you do it well, teach them and bring the gospel to them. I was the only, I was the only white guy at a Black Lives Matter rally. <laughs> Felt a little out of place. And I, I looked at the leader of it. And he took a break from the megaphone. I said, you got a minute? I walked over. I said, you okay? You look terrible. He said, my dad just died. I, I'm going through all this stuff. This is so weighty on me, and I'm out of work right now, and I don't, come on, let's take a walk. I took him for a walk. We talked together. He cried on my shoulder back when you could hug people. We prayed together. Now tell me, is, is that a better way to bring Jesus into that movement, or is it to stand off with my thumbs and tell everybody how wrong they are? Hear me, and I want to say this right way. Until you study 
where people are coming from until, I don't think evolution, okay, but study Darwinism so you can speak intelligently to those who believe Darwin. I don't want to study the, the counterfeit. I want to study the original. Then, then read books by believers that talk about intelligent design. Michael Behe's book, Darwin's Black Box, is brilliant. It's got a bunch of big words. You're going to use your thethoroth and your dinothoroth and all the other thorothes that are out there, right? But read it, and you'll be able to discuss intelligently intelligent design. And when it comes time to debate evolution, you'll actually have something to say that might lead people to ask questions and think and grow rather than, right? Guys, 30 years ago, I could stand behind a pulpit like this one, and I could just settle the issue by saying God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. But those days are over with. We have to have a better, logical, scientific, researched, unbiased, truthful, and yes, biblical conversation. But three-quarters of the people do not believe our Bible. So if all we have is a verse about Sodom and Gomorrah, it is not helpful to those who are wrestling with sexual identity. You okay? So Paul said it this way. Piano girl, join me so everybody knows that this is almost over with. He says, do your best. Do your best. The word is only used once in Scripture. It's a compound word that talks about studying to the place of exertion. Some translations say study to show yourself approved. Do your best. In other words, study to the place of exertion. Do your best to present yourself to God as one who's approved. And we're presenting ourselves to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Now look at this. And, or we say and, who correctly handles the word of truth. I'm going to study, I'm going to exert myself to show God that I am ready for any conversation he brings my way. And, everybody say and, and I'm going to correctly handle the word of truth when I speak to people that need the truth. And, it isn't just study to show yourself the proof of God. And correctly handles it. I'm not preaching to Jesus. I'm not witnessing to Jesus. I'm not counseling Jesus. I, I think it comes back to the first Sunday last week. If we love God and we love people, then we realize that God doesn't decide who he's going to love and who he's not going to love. He just decides, how do I love everybody? When we, when we stop the exhausting process of who's in and who's out, whose morality is moral enough for me, whose life is mirrored enough to Christ that I'm not going to live, who, when we decide we're going to love everybody, then the exhausting process of who to love is over with, and now the only question is how to love. The only way I know how to love coffee is to drink army coffee for two years. So that gas station coffee is a vast improvement. The only way I know how to eat broccoli, the only way I know how to run a mile, the only way I know how to do a sit-up, I didn't say three, I said one, is to start the process, work the muscle, build the relationship. But Jim, if, if we build relationships, are we not approving of those? Jesus had the same criticism, didn't he? You eat with a bunch of tax collectors, buddy. You hang out with a lot of sinners. What did Jesus say? It's not the healthy who need a doctor. I'm not with them because I want their money or want their influence or want their approval. I'm with them because they need what I alone possess. And I will do anything, as Paul said, to be a Greek to the Greek and a Jew to the Jew. My counsel, my hope, my goal. We're not going to spend months going over every social issue. I think, honestly, the first week gives us all the answers we're going to need for the second week. If we have that loving God and loving people well, we'll figure out the rest of it. I just want to expose you to the thought that you would do well to learn where people are and begin to address them where they are instead of just saying, until you can come to my church and do what we tell you to do and believe what we tell you to believe and say what we tell you, dress the way we tell you to dress and behave the way, well, it's, it's not, it's not that. 
there was the, the day where we, you, know, you belonged if you behaved and believed. But Jesus turns that on its ear, doesn't he? You actually, you actually were loved first. You belonged first. And through that belonging, somehow the osmosis of righteousness became belief, and from belief came behavior. And I, I think that is our way forward. No, no. I believe that is our way forward. So would you stand to your feet? Nobody leave. Went seven minutes over. I had one too many points, so next Sunday my summer will be almost pointless. Would you bow your heads? Nobody leave. Nobody bow your head. People that are going to help people out, do not take your place yet. We're not, we're not quite there. Father, I ask that you would bring us to a place where you are more right than others are wrong. I love, I love a good fight. Church, my last name is Wiegand. A Wiegand, a German word, Wiegand, is a mercenary. I was named after people who are hired to kill other people they'd never met before. I love, listen, I love a good fight. The hardest things I've had to do is not just punch people in the face my whole life. I'm not kidding you. It comes so naturally to me. Like a nap to a bulldog comes fighting to Jim Wiegand. It's in me. But Jesus is also in me. Father, I pray for those that are standing right now in this room. I ask you, God, to give them a strength to begin to dedicate themselves towards the study, towards the knowledge. I I love that we need to study the word, and I, I will preach that to my dying breath. But we also need to study where people are so we can bring the word there. Jesus didn't quote scripture to the woman at the well. He met her where she was with words that were scriptural, but were not scripture. They were true, but they weren't quotations of a book. They were, they were his heart leading her towards your heart. God, I pray that over this church. If we do anything right in 2021, may we love you. May we love people. May we be righteous and lead many, many people to righteousness. And may we do it because we are, we've studied and we're right. We know that we know. I know that I know that I know there's intelligence and design because I've studied it. I wasn't taught what to say. I was taught how to learn. And when I learn the truth, I will not stop saying it. So I don't believe in evolution. And I can prove it 17 different ways. I believe Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You created the heavens and the earth. Not because someone told me to believe it, but because I've studied it. And I can correctly handle it with anybody who would disagree with it. Not to beat them in a debate, but to help them in faith. Father, I pray that over this community right now. We won't all be experts in everything, but some of us need to become experts in some things. For the sake of the lost, we dedicate ourselves to studying, to doing our best, to exerting ourselves, to correctly handle your word in this last day. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I pray my prayers, and now it's time for you. You're here today, and like Jim, I am not righteous. Could you go back to that righteous thing? I'll get to studying evolution in a second, but I, I'm not right. I'm not right with God. I'm lost. And I spend a lot of time being scared. My heart is empty. I feel lonely a lot. I really, I really hope that the, your stories of a loving God are true. My testimony to you and the testimony of hundreds of people in this room right now is they are. That's why we're here. That's why we're not home watching the lions lose. That's why we're not out washing the boat. That's, we're here because we came to worship the God who rescued us 
from us. And in the closing 90 seconds of this, this time together, would you just consider giving everything you are to the one who gave everything he was for you? Giving your life to Jesus, committing your path, committing your, your history, everything to him, and receive from him a destiny, a life that is abundant, he says. A life that through this narrow road of confessing just to him, getting right just by him, just through him, you can walk into an expansive kingdom filled, filled with opportunities and adventures and life. Uh, a thief comes to steal your life, kill your life, destroy your life. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. 30 seconds of service will be over with. If you're here today, you're like, I just... I need that. I need him. I need to give me to him. He paid for everything I've done wrong. He defeated everything that defeated me. He rose from the dead even. And now I've chosen my Savior. It will not be me. It will not be anything less than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If that's you, I'm going to ask for just a simple act of obedience and faith. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. By the slipping of your, of your hand, a very, a very quick little, so can that really save me? Hey, the thief on the cross went to heaven by saying, Lord, remember me. <laughs> yes. A simple act of faith, an act of obedience, an act of, yes, I want God. Yes. That's what it all is. That's what it's always been. That's what it always will be. If you're here right now, that's me. I, I want him. I want him. I want Jesus. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand all over this room right now. And the hands go up. Best part of my day. Best part of my day. Well, Father, I thank you. Because I believe that uplifted hands are the fruit of an open heart. And I know that wherever you're welcomed, you come in. So I pray your blessings. May your favor be upon them and their children and their children's children with thousand generations, God. Help us in these last days to thank you for the righteousness that was a gift and to fight for being right, that we would have something to say beyond slander, beyond anger, beyond trying to defeat an enemy. If it has flesh and blood, it is not our enemy. It's to be loved and listened to. And in the end, our goal is that they would listen to your voice as we speak and turn and be saved. So to that end, to that end, we give you us in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Well, let's do this. Um, they're going to be dismissing you very carefully, row by row, especially today. A lot of people today, so we're going to do our best to get you out of here. So if you'll gather your things, when I say go, they're going to start directing you. But please don't just walk out. Please wait to be directed so we don't have that cross traffic. There's like four or five exits. So those of you who are helping people out, I need you to speak in a loud and direct voice. Are you ready? You are dismissed as they dismiss you. Start talking. There they go. Good. God bless you guys. See you next week.